Good morning. Good to be with you this morning and see your smiling faces and join being back for term two. It's my privilege to preach this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. So if you'd like to turn to Colossians chapter one, I'll read our passage for this morning, pray and preach. Colossians chapter one, beginning at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us, of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Our Heavenly Father, we love the Lord Jesus, your Son, our Saviour, who has rescued us likewise. Heavenly Father, we pray as we meditate on this aspect of Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians, um, would you give us a sense of thankfulness and prayerfulness as we dwell on Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let us, you'll see a picture on the screen, fight as a group together, the learned with their pen, the rich with their substance, the poor with dispersing those things that may edify, and all together with our prayers daily to God. The field is half one and more. Poland and some say Bohemia is one. Already our brothers in England stand to it like men. France has more Protestants than Papists. The sun bursteth out where the clouds of popery be thickest. The more they quench the coal, the more it burneth. Blow therefore boldly the trumpet of God's truth. Fiery words from some more J's. John Ponnet to John Bale about 500 years ago in the Marian exile. One of the things I love, you can turn it off now, one of the things I love about researching the Reformation is reading these kinds of letters 
manuscripts and publications that celebrate the word of truth and the growth of the gospel. And so often when you look at these kinds of things, these writings, uh, you sort of see that dwelling on the gospel, loving seeing the gospel take root and grow and have a great effect, but two attendant themes, thankfulness and prayer. Thankfulness and prayer that go along with this rejoicing, celebrating in the gospel. Of course, you see the same sorts of things when you look around the writings of the evangelical revivals, same kinds of things. And of course, you see the same in the New Testament in these pages. Indeed, this opening section of the book of Colossians is a great case in point. So the few minutes we've got ahead of us this morning, I wanted to see something of the relationship between these three things, thankfulness, prayerfulness, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to walk out this morning with a little bit more thankfulness and prayerfulness because of the gospel. That's my goal. Now, this church in Colossae, modern-day Turkey, might have uh, a lot of dissimilarities, perhaps a few parallels with your own churches. Um, It's a a vibrant church. It's a growing church. It's a, a church where people are being converted... It's a church where people are wrestling to overcome sin. It's a church where people are trying to work out how to relate to unbelieving cultural norms and traditions around them. A church where husbands and wives, where parents and where children are trying to work out how to live godly lives. Um, All the time trying to wisely witness to outsiders. It's a church where there's gospel growth going on. So it's really no wonder that the Apostle Paul is uh, thanking God for them right up at the head of this letter, right at the start of the letter. And and the thanks at the start of the letter is quite interesting, um, not only because Paul is, you know, probably a long way away from these guys in Rome, but also because he's probably never even met these Colossians. He's never even met them. He's just heard. He's just heard about them through Epaphras, who's discipled them. You see the little mention there of Epaphras in verse 7, who's brought uh, the gospel to them. They learned it from Epaphras. And we find out later, of course, Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for them. He loves them. And Paul's found out about this. He's heard about what God's doing in the Colossian church, about all the good things that are going on there spiritually. Have a look at verse 4. There's faith and there's love abounding among the Colossian believers. And verse 5, that very same faith and love springing from the hope of heaven held by the saints in Colossae. You You can just sort of imagine it in some ways, a fledgling little church that's growing rapidly, full of new believers, where they have their eyes fixed on eternity. And because eternity is where their hope is, Well, well, they're living for Jesus in a rather big way. Perhaps their faith in Christ Jesus is uh, so strong that they're willing to stand up and cop some flack for being a Christian uh, in their uh, times. Perhaps their love for one another is so strong they're willing to sacrifice time, talents, treasures, whatever the case is, to help another brother or sister along the way and the road to heaven. We don't know, but perhaps these things are happening. Whatever the case... Their hope laid up in heaven seems to be supercharging the faith and the love within their Christian lives. And from where did this hope come? 
It came from the word of truth. It came from the gospel. It came to them just as it's come uh, to you and I. Paul, in, in verse 23, calls it the, the hope held out in the gospel. And, and this hope, this Easter hope, and we're still in the Easter season, rejoicing in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, this Easter hope held out in the gospel is a really big deal to them. I wonder um, how much of a deal this Easter hope might be to you this morning. I don't know what your circumstances are like, but I wonder what this hope means to you this morning, even now. I wonder how much of a deal this Easter hope might mean to others around you, family members perhaps. I wonder how you might answer that uh, classic catechism question, what is your only comfort or hope in some translations, what is your only comfort or hope in life and death? And someone answered. Go a bit louder that I am. Yes, but belong in body and soul, in life and death to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. Or some other version of it too. But that's really pleasant and heartening to hear. Isn't that encouraging? I think it's good. You can imagine how much that Easter hope would have meant to them. You can imagine what it would mean to those around you who are struggling. You can imagine what these words mean. I'm not my own, but belong in body and soul to my Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine what this sort of hope might mean to... We've prayed for people in other countries, Eastern European countries, Ukrainian Christians who've just celebrated Orthodox Easter this last weekend. What would this hope that I'm not my own but belong body and soul to Jesus Christ mean in the midst of their tragic circumstances? So the gospel has produced in the Colossians, in us, in myriad others, millions of others, this theological triumvirate of faith, hope and love. Paul puts it this way in verse 6. He calls this faith, hope and love bearing fruit. And he says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you. What's what's happening there in the Colossians is popping up and happening all around the place. It's like some uh, beautiful flower that you've, you've, you've been hoping to get going in your garden and when it suddenly comes into bloom, it pops up here, it pops up there and it starts to grow everywhere. And that's the way that the Gospels are growing and bearing fruit according to, to Paul. Faith, hope and love seem to be popping up all around the known world. And so Paul says, well, thanks very much, guys. Thanks very much for how hard you've been working how much effort you've put in, thanks for your gifts, thanks for your incredible ability to serve that hard-to-love person, thanks for your exceptional leadership under these circumstances, for your brilliant and insightful uh, comments in your one-to-one Bible study leading and small groups. Thank you that you're bearing so much fruit and for your growth. And that, in case you had noticed, is not what he says. He doesn't attribute the Colossian church with those kinds of thanks. He doesn't praise their wonderful ministry staff, he doesn't say gratitude in the direction of their fantastic preachers or even their evangelists and disciple makers like Epaphras. Who does he thank? And in verse 3, we always thank God. God, not man, so he properly thanks. 
And after all, did anyone in the Colossian church bring about this gospel? Did anyone perhaps down the road in the Laodicean church bring about uh, this gospel? And the answer is no, of course. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who revealed his grace in all its truth. God's uh, gospel, it's God's gospel is the one that's bearing the fruit in the church. And this is, of course, what you see when you read these great, you know, letters and manuscripts and texts. It's, you know, the reformers, the revivalists, the writer of this letter remind us that God deserves the praise, the glory, the honour. Which, which leads us to ask, um, how often are we grateful for these kinds of things, these wonderful things happening in our lives, perhaps in our churches, and yet we do forget sometimes to thank the author of this wonderful things. We take for granted sometimes these gifts and forget the giver. And I, there's a story, a really good one, I, I, um, I've, I've used before, but I'll use again, um, by author uh, Chuck Swindle, American author on, on thanks. He tells a story about uh, this kind of thing. He visited a man in a veteran's hospital once, and he says, and I quote, the day I arrived to visit, I saw a really touching scene. Um, this man had a young son, and during his confinement in hospital, he made a, a little wooden truck for his boy, and since the boy wasn't allowed to go into the ward to visit his father, an orderly brought the gift down to the child who was waiting in front of the hospital with his mother. The father was looking out of the fifth floor window, watching his son unwrap this gift. And the little boy uh, opened up the package and his eyes got wide when he saw this wonderful little truck and he hugged it to his chest, Swindle says. Meanwhile, the father was walking uh, backwards and forwards, waving his arm behind the window pane, trying to get his son's attention. The little boy put down the truck, he reached up and he hugged the orderly and thanked him for the truck. Um, all, all the while, while the frustrated father was going through all these dramatic gestures trying to say, it's me, son, it's, I made the truck for you, I gave that to you, look up here. And finally, the mother of the orderly uh, turned the boy's attention up to the fifth floor window and it was then that the boy cried out, oh, Dad, Dad, I, I miss you, Dad. Th thanks for my truck, Dad. You know, ju just like this son recognised that, that, you know, the father, it was him who gave him the gift. Well, it's thankfulness to God that inevitably follows the gift of gospel growth in our lives. And can I say, I mean, it's really worth saying, uh, or even asking the question, are you giving thanks in your life for these gifts from your heavenly Father? How often do you... I mean, here's a really simple question, but I, 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 as I prepare this, oh, this, is, this is important for me to think about. How often do you thank God for the simple fact that you believe... Just the simple fact that you believe. That's, that's, that's no little thing. That is no mere belief. This is no trifle that you have faith. How often do you just thank God that you have faith? How often do you thank God that you have this, this strange hope of, of, of an inheritance stored up in heaven that can never perish spoil? How often do you thank God that you just have that hope can you imagine what life would be like without it? How, how often do you thank God that you have this, this very curious, peculiar love that manages somehow to love people that you wouldn't ordinarily love? I mean, that's a strange thing. Perhaps you take for granted these things like me. But these are extraordinary, extraordinary gifts. How often do you thank God for those things? Where would you be without them? 
It's not like I, I don't think you'd be, you know, completely loveless or hopeless or, you know, um, uh, sort of faithless. I think you'd probably, you know, ha- had the faith turned in on yourself. I, I think you'd probably bank all your hopes on yourself. I think you'd probably love yourself a lot more and, and life would be totally different. Where would you be without these things? Some of you would probably be in the gutter. Some of you pr- would probably be absolutely absorbed in the CBD. Some of you would be doing all sorts of other things, but here you are at Moore College doing a very weird thing because of these things. Faith, hope, love. These are no mere gifts. When was the last time you thanked God for those things? It's easy to complain about things. I find that easy, especially when I'm tired. It's easy to find little things to turn into big things. But what about the things that we forget that are big things we've turned into little things? Faith, hope and love. Are you thankful for the many gifts your heavenly Father has given you? Indeed, the simple and precious ones. Paul is thankful for the Colossians. But he's not only thankful, he's prayerful. And as I read this last night, I was surprised... Uh, by this section on prayer. Why? Well, you see, Paul spent the first eight verses telling them how great their church growth is. Then he says in verse 9, well, for this reason, we haven't stopped praying for you. You know, often, you know, we pray where there's a problem and we need something to start. Paul's saying, well, there's no problem, but it's great. We're going to keep going in prayer. These first eight verses, he's Uh, already told us that fruit is being born and it's growing. So what's Paul praying for in verse 10? He's praying for them to bear fruit and be growing. So the church is growing and Paul prays that it would keep growing. The church is bearing fruit. Paul prays that it would be bearing fruit. Why is he praying for the thing that's already going on? Isn't that a bit weird? Isn't that a bit odd? Well, no, it's not. Uh, It's just a little surprising, perhaps, if you're a bit slow like me. See, Paul knows that a church which is bearing good fruit and growing ought not become complacent, shouldn't rest on its laurels. I find it really interesting that Paul mentions the church in Laodicea a few times in this letter. In fact, at the end of this letter, Paul says that the Laodiceans need to read this very letter, this very letter that talks about all that God's done in the gospel, that rejoices in Jesus. You notice how Paul just can't contain himself to talk about how good Jesus is. We're not going to jump there, that's next week's sermon, but but just see how Paul naturally loves to praise Jesus and talk about the gospel. Well, the Laodiceans are going to read all of this letter and and, and we find out later in the book of Revelation, of course, that the church of Laodicea that's got lukewarm, that's ready to be spat out. This section on additional required prayer for growth and, you know, bearing fruit and so forth, it shouldn't have been that surprising to me. A church that's growing needs more prayer. A church that's growing needs more fruit to bear. Perhaps uh, one, the one part of Paul's prayer here which which ought really not come as a surprise to us is verse 12. That is the sort of growth Paul's talking about and praying for is accompanied by joyful thanksgiving. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
that last little phrase there, it's, it sort of sits heavily, doesn't it? The forgiveness of sins. The gospel was the reason in verse 9 why Paul keeps praying for them. And the gospel is the reason why in verse 13 they should keep thanking God. Wherever the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is taking root and bearing fruit, prayerfulness and thankfulness are always close by. It's a little wonder that Paul says, we always thank God for you when we're praying for you because we've heard of your faith. These things come close by. And with that in mind, I think it would be great to finish a little bit of time together here with prayer and thanksgiving. And I'm going to ask you just with two people around, three people around you, uh, just pray for a couple of minutes. Think about somebody you know or a group or a church who's received the gospel and spend a couple of minutes giving thanks for them and praying for them. And I'll close out our time together with a short prayer in a moment. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, your grace in all its truth is truly amazing. We are so grateful to you for holding out the hope in the gospel. We're so thankful for the gift of faith received freely. We rejoice in the Christ-like love among your people. Would you strengthen the saints with all power according to your glorious might so that we all would have great endurance and patience 
and give you joyful thanks in the wonderful work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Rock and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.